We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 2, Episode 2, We Are Both. The air date for this episode was October 7th, 2012. The writer was Jane Espenson, and the director was Dean White. The title card featured magical branches. We start with a cold open in Storybrooke. Leroy, accompanied by the counterparts of the rest of the Seven Dwarves, marks a line on the road leading out of town. The men draw straws to decide who will cross the line so they may learn what happens. When the others express their doubt and fear, Leroy tells them it is their chance to prove themselves. Mr. Clark, a.k.a. Sneezy, draws the shortest straw. Revenge for being a dick to Henry. I was going to say, damn Sneezy, guess you should have been nicer to kids. <laughs> when Sneezy steps over the line, swirls of magic horse over him and paralyze him. Cue title card. Wreckage from the wraith litters the town. Damn, Mr. Gold really was like, I'm out of here. Fuck this town. I want to send this wraith guy to like smash it all. Like, fuck you, Maine. Yeah, really. It very much was like a fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah, you're cool. (laughs) Fuck you. Yeah. I mean, he meant it really just to go after Regina and one and done. You know, he didn't, I don't think, actually intend for anyone else to get hurt. I don't but. think he was mad at all the collateral either, though. I think he was just like, eh, eh. Oh, no. Let me some chaos. Yeah, no. He's just like, well, I don't know. That's, <laughs> we all hated this all town. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we all hated this town, right? Like, yeah, to be that way on this He's like, earth. get in on this riot. Let's come on. <laughs> Destruction, power let's and chaos. Loot. Yeah, let's loot. Exactly. <laughs> this was our prison. On the main street, Ruby sets out the diner sign, now reading closed. At the inn, a wooden August booth lies in his bed. As the camera pans up, he blinks. Ah, you're still fucking wood, you douche. (laughs) Yeah, that isn't creepy at all. Also, I think it's time to donate him to the Poopenhausen. Yay, that's really far away. (laughs) Yes. Outside in the town square, many of the residents are gathered after the wraith attack. Marco hangs up a missing poster for his son, Pinocchio, still believing him to be a child. Ruby walks across the lawn, making announcements to the townspeople, informing them that beds are available at the school and that Dr. Hopper is taking signups for counseling. What I love about this is how utterly practical their emergency response is. Like it's taking an extraordinary supernatural circumstances, but using like their land without magic know-how to cope and organize. Also, if you read some of the missing people signs, they are Pyramus and Thisbe, a pair of ill-fated lovers from Ovid's Metamorphosis. Others are Tatiana, the fairy queen from A Midsummer's Night Dream. Pierre Eblard, a real-world medieval philosopher whose love with Eloise became a legendary tragic story of lovers doomed to be apart. So, you know, real cheerful shit. Ruby hands blankets to Mother Superior, who expresses her concern that the townspeople are confused and panicked. Ruby reassures her, saying everyone just needs to remain calm. She has faith that their prince is working on something. I mean, I was willing to put money on him crying and eating macaroni and cheese in the shower. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, charming Grandpa Himbo is at Regina's door with Jefferson's hat in hand and demands to know about it. When Regina asks why there is no guards set on her, he informs her that should she leave, quote, there is a mile long demand for your head. 
David accurately guesses that her magic was a fluke and Storybrooke would be cinders should Regina's full extent powers be activated. He tells her that she still lives only because that is what Henry wants. David repeats his question, and Regina claims that she remembers nothing of the hat or where she got it. This is some Jefferson erasure. And we will not stand for it. No. Riot. <laughs> Start looting. The town's already ruined. <laughs> to the hat store. <laughs> to the hattery. The haberdashery. The haberdashery. <laughs> Quick to the chapeau. <laughs> They begin bickering about the custody of Henry, and Regina refuses to take parental advice from a man who put his daughter in a box and shipped her to Maine. I mean, she's kind of got a point there. Still, David is persistent in finding a way to get to the void world of the Enchanted Forest, where Mary Margaret and Emma are trapped. David tells Regina that she earned every bit of her pain, and she claims that she may not have magic nor her son, but when she gets one, she will get the other. The conversation ends when David tells Regina, if you have to use magic to keep your son, you don't really have him. You tell her, Charming. In the enchanted forest of the past, a young Regina is desperately riding on her horse, Rosanate, in an attempt to escape her mother, Cora, and the wedding to King Leopold. However, she is thwarted by one of Cora's spells and pulled from her horse as her mother appears behind her. Cora tells Regina that she has cast a barrier spell. Regina can't leave the kingdom borders without Leopold by her side. Desperately, Regina tells her mother that she does not want to marry the king, nor does she want power. All she truly wishes for is freedom. I mean, be fair. King Leopold fucking sucks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this whole situation is... It does. Suck. It It does. does. I feel she's trying to run the fuck away. Good Lord. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. I feel for young Regina. However, Cora tells her daughter that power is freedom and tells her not to worry and that she is there to guide her daughter down the right path. God, Cora like magically linking Regina to only being able to travel with King Leopold is so fucked up though. Like she left Regina without an ounce of agency like she wants her to have power but she left her literally with no agency (laughs) with a man that's pretty insidious man in storybrook outside the town hall david asks henry if he has seen mother superior henry tells him no but adds that everyone is looking for david on cue ruby archie dr whale and marco all accost david with urgent requests no one is able to decide which names to use ruby starts off with rumple mr gold while david asks for blue uh, mother superior huge shout out by the way to david anders the actor for dr whale as he asks if quote the nuns are still nuns or if they can date don't say it's me that's asking like it's it's super super gross but it's hilarious like what a perfectly skeezy dude he reminds me a lot of neil patrick harris in how i met your mother as the sleazy barney stinson character and honestly i would bet all of my money that anders got cast as dr whale for being very similar to that type i mean he does kind of look like neil and Mm -hmm. you know behave like him and stuff so i I would not be surprised at all if he got cast because they're like, hey, you remind me of that funny guy on that funny show. Because <laughs> yeah. that's how that's how a lot of casting happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is pretty funny, though, that everyone has like pretty valid concerns that they're trying to ask about. And Whale, the phenomenal dick, is just over here like, yo, but can I hit that, though? <laughs> like, I'd say don't ever change if I didn't so strongly dislike you. <laughs> it's honestly such a really great little moment of writing, like, like way to still be you dude yeah Yeah. even in a crisis you gotta 
Yeah, you gotta just be the skeeziest thing here. <laughs> Creeper's gonna creep. Yeah, apparently, and he's proving that in consistent. space. <laughs> like a, you know, David was a weak, you know, confused, spineless guy, right? And charming mm-hmm. is so wonderful and dashing and and strategic. But Doctor Will, Creeper's gonna creep. Consistently awful. Consistently awful. <laughs> like I mean, at least he's consistent. Yeah. Yeah. David finally spots Mother Superior and heads straight for her, asking if there was a tree on this side, like the one they sent Emma through, so that he could follow Emma and Mary Margaret. Mother Superior informs David that it is possible, but without fairy dust to guide them, it is hopeless. David is deflated at this, but Henry jumps in, telling him that he will find a way to get them. He says that things always look darkest before there is good news. Suddenly, Leroy breaks through the crowd shouting, terrible news, terrible news, (laughs) as he and the dwarves rush up. I love a Jane Espison episode. We always get some comedic gold. Yeah, the the comedic timing of Grumpy running in shouting terrible news was perfect. Like, I definitely laughed out loud. It was so good. Leroy tells Sneezy to tell everyone who he is. A confused Mr. Clark tells everyone that he is Tom Clark, the owner of Dark Star Pharmacy. Leroy lays out for everyone what happened. When someone crosses the town line, they lose the memory of their original life, believing their storybook identity to be who they truly are. Bless Archie for asking, and it doesn't fix itself when we cross back over. And Leroy's answer of, if it did, would I be running in yelling, terrible news? (laughs) I think it's been a while since I pointed out how much I love Leroy, but I do. I love him. Oh my God. I mean, Lee Arnberg, I believe that's how you say his last name. Just what a, what a fucking gift. Yeah. He's so good. He's like, Grumpy's my favorite. (laughs) Also, you're keeping it real. (laughs) Poor, poor Sneezy being the one recursed though. Cause like Mr. Clark was the worst storybook persona of the dwarves. And, and now we're stuck with a mean pharmacy owner instead of like this nice sneezing lad. I know we just got a nice dude back. Yeah. And now it's like, well, now you're back to being a man who hates children and is kind of just mean to everybody. (laughs) And sneezes all over everybody. And I have to say in this COVID world, like every time Sneezy sneezes in public, I flinch. Like, I'm just like, oh, get a mask. (laughs) The droplets. Droplets. Exactly. Droplets. Ah. Everyone is horrified by this revelation. And in an overlapping jumble of panic, they ask David what they should do. Over the panic din, David tries to maintain order. After they all calm down enough to listen, he tells them to reconvene in two hours. He will tell them his plan to fix everything. Ruby catches up to David as he walks off, asking him what his plan is. And he tells her that he has got two hours to figure it out. (laughs) Salem's like, he'll do what I believe in him. (laughs) You know, sometimes Charming isn't just a pretty face. He knows how to use that lump three feet above his sweet, sweet ass. The hopes of the town rest on the strong, handsome shoulders of this lone himbo. I like Ruby's face journey being like, I'm glad he's charming again, but I want to have faith. But I, I I, really wish we had Snow White to lead us and not Prince Himbo. I don't know if he's going to come up with anything in two hours. I miss my competent best friend. I miss her. Yeah, they, they really are like two complimentary halves. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. At her home, Regina sits before an unlit candle, trying unsuccessfully to use magic to light it. She tosses the candle aside in anger and leaves her house. Outside, as she heads to her car, Archie approaches her, offering his help. Oh, right, the conscious thing. 
She snaps before rejecting his offer. Archie tells her it might do her some good to talk to him since maybe it will help her find out who she really is. She coldly informs him that she knows who she is, then climbs into her car. You're a good man, Archie. You you tried. You did. You did try. Bless his heart. Back in the enchanted forest of the past, Regina sits in her boudoir with a young Snow White, braiding and adorning her hair with flowers. Snow White admires her new look, then notices a ring on a chain in Regina's jewelry box, which she puts on. Snow White asks Regina where she got the necklace, and Regina tells her it was a gift from Daniel. Snow White's face becomes concerned, and she asks if it is the same Daniel who loved Regina but left her. Regina corrects her, stating that he did not leave, but he was killed. She says he was killed because Snow White could not keep her secret. As a horrified Snow White takes this in, the necklace begins creeping up her neck until it goes taut. Regina begins choking her to death with the necklace. She tells the dying Snow White that her mother corrupts young souls. Just as the life is going out of Snow White's face, the scene changes to show her happily wearing the harmless necklace. It was all in Regina's imagination. I feel like the show is doing some much needed backpedaling from season one, episode 18, The Stable Boy, which we criticized for going from zero to murder with Regina's character. Here, despite her depression over her life, Regina is being very soft and sweet with Snow. And it's a very unwanted daydream slash violent fantasy that disrupts her thoughts and clearly disturbs her. Like she isn't out for Snow's blood here. I would wager that the showrunners felt they did not have the time in season one to convey that Regina's thirst for revenge on Snow White was something that poisoned her over time. I would call that poor planning, but you know, whatever. Glad they're course correcting now, at least. Yeah, you can tell it's set up to be like this, like very intrusive thought and not active bloodlust coming from Regina. Much better than Stable Boys. I should have let her die on that horse moment. <laughs> yeah, very, very, yeah, Bet Davis. I should have let her die on that horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a definite improvement, but I don't know. It still just traps my ass that Regina's still like, the child, the child is who did this to me. And it's like, sure, sure, honey. Not your mother, who you flat out watched murder bootleg Alexis Denisoff. The culprit is a literal child. Regina, you big dummy. I know. She's just And like, again, like if it's true, then that you know, she is isolated and she can't leave the castle grounds without King Leopold and you know, watching this daughter that he, you know, just dotes on like constantly. And I think I think I think it just drives her absolutely insane. Like yeah. like literally drives her insane. I'm not excusing her. Oh, no, I'm just I don't saying know. like I can see how like how we get there. How I like think... yeah an irrational thought becomes perfectly logical like over time to her. I think and no offense, in more mm -hmm. capable hands. Yes. <laughs> um that is something that would have been conveyed better. Yes. But it's not. So as it is, it still kind of reads like the Eric Andre meme. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like Cora shoots Daniel and goes, why would Snow White do this? <laughs> and it's like, uh, for a million years, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. No offense taken. Absolutely 100% in better capable hands. Like in more capable hands, I think that could have been a very compelling thing to like catalog her like descent in madness that builds up to the like Snow White is the root of everything that went wrong in my life. But right. Like, like they definitely try to do it a little better at this point, but 
they've already kind of shot themselves in the foot already. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, like I really do think that they sort of wrote themselves into a hole the way that they chose with like these constant like flashbacks and and stuff in like season one and I mean you know that's just going to be the method from here on out is like all these flashbacks to the past you know to put these puzzles pieces together and then they chose to go off and into like like nonsense land with characters that had absolutely 100% no business being in season one so they could have devoted much more care and time to developing this backstory because I could see this flashback working well in season one, actually. Yeah, me too. If they mm-hmm. hadn't wasted that whole fucking episode on the go nowhere Hansel and Gretel plot, we probably could have gotten it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to harp on that forever, you guys. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> well, you know what? It's a stupid episode. Never Fuck forget. A stupid Never episode. Forget. Never forget. Never forget. Never forget. True <laughs> North. Is- God, what is even the runtime of that episode? Like 45 minutes? It's 45 minutes of my life I'm never getting back. Yeah. Like multiplied because I've watched, watched it multiple it times. Multiple yeah. times because yeah. I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In the castle courtyard, Regina walks with her father, Henry. She is desperate because she knows Cora is turning Regina into herself, and she wants her father to help her find a way out. She does not want to marry the king and feels like a prisoner. Henry asks if it is possible she is having cold feet, which Regina rejects because the whole situation is insanity. Regina further confesses feeling angry all the time now and fears Cora is making her crazy. Henry tells his daughter that Cora loves her and wants to give her everything she never had herself. Good Lord. Regina's dad is a useless sack of crap and I'm glad he died. Like this yeah. whole scene makes me so angry. Honestly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like Regina's like, here's all these very, very valid concerns I have about the deeply horrible predatory things my mother is doing. And he's just like, you just have cold feet, honey. She just wants to take care of you. And it's like, what the fuck you idiot? No, yeah. No, no, like no, no, he's, no. he's definitely like, he's such a, he's, door- so, he's such, oh. he's just a doormat. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's just to a point that it's willful ignorance, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like harmfully willful ignorance. I'm just like you waste everyone's time and oxygen by existing, and I hate you. Yeah. Like it just makes me so mad because like it's supposed to be that he's her one confidant. Like she's like my father, who's my one ally here, and he's just like no, no, no. Your mommy just wants what's best for you, sweetheart. Yeah. Yeah. He's not it's a good like, ally oh. to her. I'm glad you die. In this episode, I also have to give props again for Alana playing her younger self. I I think she does a real great job. Um, And also the costume and and wig really helped gauge her as well. The empire waist and the colors and like the long hair down that's like free. It really does show us a different Regina who hasn't completely become the evil queen yet. And I think she does a really great performance of showing a little bit of that, that slow descent. So we're maybe writing has failed us. I, I do think she she plays it well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Lana's great. Regina expresses that she wants her own life, not her mother's. Despondent, Regina wonders aloud how Cora got like this. To her surprise, Henry Sr. answers, first lurking around to make sure that no one hears, and he tells Regina that there was a man, well, like a man, whom Cora knew before she even met Henry. He brought magic to her and gave her that book of spells. Regina wants this person's name, but Henry doesn't know it. It dawns on Regina that the book of spells that Cora uses must have once belonged to that man. Insert excited squeal here. (laughs) Back in Storybrooke, Regina storms into Mr. Gold's shop, tearing through the inventory and pulling books off the shelves. 
Gold comes in to find her tearing through tome after tome and serenely tells her that the library is beneath the clock tower. She closed it back up when she still had power. A touchstone in her open campaign against literacy. (laughs) Regina says, I need the book. I need to get my son back. Gold plays at not knowing which book Regina is seeking, then verbally jabs her for not only needing the spell book, but also that she needs her mummy's help. He suggests relaxing and waiting for the magic to just happen. Regina tells him she does not have time to work her way back, and she needs a shortcut. Gold refuses to help her and tells her to leave, adding, please. They both realize that the word no longer has any effect on her, likely another sign that the curse is broken. Regina is so pleased his pleases don't work anymore. Like, suddenly it becomes her best day ever. Finally getting that small little win over Mr. Gold, and he's just like, ugh, there'll be no living with her now. (laughs) She'll be insufferable from here on out. (laughs) From here on out? (laughs) Well, yeah, because before he could just make her leave. Yeah, that's true. He'd just be like, leave, please, and she'd be like, god fucking damn it, and have to get out. (laughs) Now she's just like, no, and he's like, ugh. And today just keeps getting worse. (laughs) Taking this in, Gold tells her that jumpstarting her magic is not in his best interest. Regina retorts that neither is everyone in the town knowing that their world still exists. Gold lifts an arm and the spell book magically materializes in his hand. Offering an eager Regina the book, Gold warns her to be careful. However, Regina does not care. She insists on using the book to get Henry back. As she storms out of the shop, Gold tells her that even though he once told Regina she did not look like Cora, he now sees it. Mr. Gold telling Regina she now looks like her mother is such a good burn. Like the last thing she wants to be is Cora, And that is exactly what she became. Yeah. In the former enchanted forest, in her chamber, Cora is in bed, sleeping peacefully. Regina stands over her and reaches under Cora's pillow to pull out the spell book. She sneaks off back to her room where she tries to decipher the tome. Discovering a name on one of the pages, she makes an attempt to pronounce it. Rumpel, Rumpelstiltskin? I summon the Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> Immediately appearing, he says, that's not how you say it, dearie. A shocked Regina turns to see Rumpelstiltskin reclining leisurely on her chase lounge nearby. He tells her she did not say his name correctly, but in truth, she did not have to say anything at all. Regina approaches him, asking him, what are you? He takes small umbrage at the what. Regina apologizes, admitting she does not really know what she is doing. With a flourish and a bow, he introduces himself properly to her. She begins to respond in kind, but Rumpelstiltskin interrupts, informing her he already knows who she is. Regina quickly realizes he knows who she is because of her mother, adding that people have told her that she looked like Cora when she was younger. Rumpelstiltskin studies her and tells her that he does not see the resemblance, and that's not how he knows her anyway. Regina asks, then how? He tells her he knew her long ago, and he knew that this day would come. He adds, and I'm so happy we are back where we belong. Where is that? Regina asks. Together, he replies. Internal screaming. Internal screaming. It's a weird mix of a scene. Oh, we'll it is. Off because it it's like is. on one hand, you're like, oh, this is like setting up like maybe she's his daughter. And the other hand, there's like sexual tension. And you're like, this yes. is going strange. It's very mixed soon. signals. They can't yeah. quite decide how they want it to be read. They can't quite decide if like, it wants to be like a fatherly thing or like almost a phantom of the opera type yeah a little thing. phantom yeah. yeah a little phantom absolutely yeah, I, yeah yeah exactly i agree wholeheartedly 
In Storybrooke, Regina sits on a bench, looking over the spellbook she just procured from gold. Meanwhile, David, in a close-up as he makes a speech, starts with, People of Storybrooke, I know we're trapped again and things look bleak. He hesitates and his hands go to his forehead. David is not talking to the residents of Storybrooke. He's talking to Amir in Emma and Mary Margaret's apartment, rehearsing, but not to his satisfaction. He's just like, I'm just a simple himbo. I miss snow. Ooh. I am but a simple himbo. <laughs> My wife. My wife. My wife. <laughs> Henry jumps in, telling his grandpa to keep going because he was on to something. But David is too frustrated, telling Henry that he did the fighting and Snow White did the talking. David pulls out Jefferson's tattered hat from his satchel. Henry asks to see it, telling David he thinks he knows what it is. Henry goes to his storybook, flipping through a drawing of the wild-looking Jefferson and his hat. Grandpa, it's that hat you smashed with your bodacious badonk. <laughs> also, I'm really glad we get to see that terrible picture of Jefferson again. Are Haunting. you? I'm not. I know. Haunting. We had to get we had to get like August blinking, which Ugh. was terrifying, and then that terrifying screen grab. They're just packing yeah, the nightmare some, fuel yeah, into this episode. Real, yeah, they really are. Real nightmare energy. Yeah, and then Rumple's very nightmare energy too mm-hmm. in this episode, like mm-hmm. in the past, because you're just like, where are you trying to go with this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. are you implying you're her father, or you, you want to, or get get with her, or yeah. or or is it daddy in a different way? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What kind of daddy tone are we? What kind of daddy her? tone are we? looking for here because one of them is much more acceptable than the other one yes yes i agree wholeheartedly it's like okay the second one it's like young lady please blink if you need help yeah 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 yeah. it's like are you my daddy or are you my daddy i need to leave run regina run run regina run go i should go I, I I did I knew my mom was weird and it didn't like liked weird things and but into this was weird a whole shit. level this I was is, not prepared not, for. Not prepared this is for. not yeah this is these details that I just don't need to know about my mother. <laughs> I could cope with the murder. This is too much. It's too much. Monster fucking. I draw a line. <laughs> <laughs> this is my line in the sand. <laughs> Please do not cross it. No. <laughs> Henry tells David that the hat belongs to the Mad Hatter. David, eager to find this man, asks Henry who the Mad Hatter in Storybrooke is. Henry's not sure and thinks maybe the man will check in at the crisis center with everything that is going on in town. Distractedly, David asks, what thing? Henry means the big speech where David is going to tell everyone his plan. David, grabbing his coat and the hat, tells Henry he will be back for that and quickly leaves. Henry implores his grandpa to let him help, but David is already gone, heading to Mr. Gold's shop. Let Henry help. He's a smart and good boy. He is. And he's just like, put me in, coach. I got this. You know, and Henry, Henry's a lot more capable than a lot of the other people in this town. Let's be real. And he's like markedly shown to be time and time again, good at crisis de-escalation. Yeah, he is. So it's like, maybe, yeah, maybe do have the kid go out there and help. Even if he's just like keeping the angry mob like from panicking. (laughs) Yeah, just like he's got like a little top hat and a cane. He's like, okay, kid, go distract them. He's just like, hello, my honey. Hello, my baby. Hello, my ragtime. You know, like even something as simple and adorable and yet utterly baffling as that would help because Mm -hmm. if it can distract people from panicking, then, you know, he's doing a good job. How can you riot when I'm standing here looking so precious? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at me. I'm being cute. I got a little plaid shirt on. What's that about? <laughs> like, hi, I'm like the town pet because I'm like the only kid here who was yeah. not born out. Of so I'm an oddity. I'm the only one here with one timeline in my head. I can help you all out. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm the most qualified sane person here when you think about it that way. <laughs> yep. I'm a citizen. <laughs> Mr. Gold is packing a series of maps into his tote bag, including maps for New York and Massachusetts. He is clearly planning a trip when David barges in. Mr. Gold makes light that he wasted money on the clothes sign and turns to see a determined David. Surprised to see him, Mr. Gold tells David he is sorry about his wife and daughter, but portal jumping is a bit outside of his purview. Mr. Gold asks David about what is going on outside, and David lets him know about the problem with the town line. Curious, Mr. Gold asks for more details, but David tells him that he is looking for magic. He needs to find someone in the same way Mr. Gold helped him find Snow White. Mr. Gold understands and asks if David has anything belonging to the person. David says yes, but demurs when Mr. Gold asks him to see it. Sensing the impasse, Mr. Gold offers David a potion. Pouring it on the object should lead him right to whom he is looking for. So simple, even David Nolan could follow it. The sass. Shut up, you two are besties and you know it. We all know and love Charming for the beautiful dummy he is, Mr. Gold included. But to be fair, I love Charming, and even I went, Oh, at that line. <laughs> also, Charming is so pleased to be verbally sparring with Mr. Gold. He's like, everything is terrible, but at least snippy conversations with Rumpelstiltskin is familiar, and I'm finally in my wheelhouse again. Yeah, I was just going to say, well, like, 100 very proud of himself. 100%. Like, there's that little, like, twisted mouth smirk that both of them have. Oh, let's snipe at each other. You know, they're like old hens, like, at a bridge game or <laughs> yeah. something, you know? Like, ooh, Carolyn. I would never be able to like pull off that color. You look, you know, like you yeah. know, just very like backhanded complimenting to each other. Frenemies. <laughs> frenemies. Very frenemies. Casserole recipe and claimed it for her own. Oh. <laughs> but yes, they are they are both in their happy place. David asks his price, but all Mr. Gold wants is peace and non-interference. David agrees under the condition that Mr. Gold does the same for him. The deal is struck, but as David leaves, Mr. Gold asks him what happens at the border. David tells him that once someone crosses the town border, that person loses all memories of their former self. As David says, it looks like we're stuck here. Mr. Gold reacts coolly, but after Grandpa Himbo leaves, Mr. Gold smashes his cane into nearby glass cases, shattering them. He braces himself against one of the fallen cases. It is clear he was not aware of the restrictions of being stuck in Storybrook despite the curse being broken. This dude always smashes his own shit when things go badly. Like, you're going to regret it when you have to clean up all this glass. Also, no, he's got magic again. Expensive. Yeah, expensive. It's expensive. Precious artifacts. Mm, he's got magic. He's going to just wave his hand and it'll all fix itself. I guess there's that. I'll yes. Accept it. I'll accept it. <laughs> I won't like it, but I'll take it. Yeah. Well. My whole relationship with this show. <laughs> Part of me is like wondering like where Belle is because she's clearly like not there helping him or anything. So I'm just like imagining her like absorbing everything she can about this world because 
you know, and just like probably like at his house, like reading books and like watching TV and just like poking at like appliances that she's seeing for the first time and trying to yeah. like dredge up some sort of memory for it. Like, okay, is there a storybook brain in there? Like telling me that how to use this magic box thing that heats yeah. things up. I'm and sure he sat her down in front of a computer on his way out was just like, this is the internet. Here you go. <laughs> and Have knew that fun. that would just take care of it for at least a day. Yeah. Here's Wikipedia. <laughs> Look up anything. Go nuts. Uh, go nuts. Please do not use the stove. <laughs> do touch not nothing that generates heat. Yeah, touch nothing that generates heat. Go to the cold box if you need any food. <laughs> I will leave out snacks that do not require preparation of any kind. Yes. There's a box of saltines on the counter for you. Do I eat the box? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Bell's not woman. You're supposed to be smart. <laughs> yeah, no, but but you know, like you, you know, like it's never actually established. I mean, this early on, if she was given memories, because in oh, like, it's all, true. Who the hell knows? For all you know, she's just. It was just like, well, just drop her in that hole. It's fine. Yeah, well, yeah. it was like she had no idea why she was there. She was like clueless. She didn't know who she was. She didn't know anything. Yeah. So for 20 years, she didn't know. So I'm just like, then does she not know what like cars are? Does she not know what like electricity is? You know, that sort of thing. Like those, those like little minutiae details are just never addressed. Yeah. So we'll get other answers later, but that's later, later. I, you know what though? I would have loved to have seen what would have happened had Charming shown Mr. Gold the hat. He would have known that hat. He'd be like, never seen it in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't even, doesn't even like really look at it. Just like stares at charming. Like, well, I have never seen this object before in my life. I do please, not even know what it is you are holding. Please leave. Here's your potion. Please leave. Please go. I would be alone. I need to smash all my display cases now. <laughs> you know, it's Tuesday. It's normal. <laughs> In Regina's quarters in the Enchanted Forest, she continues her conversation with Rumpelstiltskin. He tells her that he has known her since she was a child, when she was more portable. You know, you can say, I held you when you were a baby, Rumpel. It's really not going to kill you to be endearing. He don't want to be soft. <laughs> he don't want to be soft. You know, he mean. He mean. He yeah, big monster. He, he tough. I, yeah, I beast. Beast. We're <laughs> <Arr>. scary. Sorry. <laughs> Rumpel reveals that Regina's family has quite a bit of history with him, both in the past and in the future. Regina asks him if he can help her. He tells her possibly, and then guesses she seeks the death of an enemy or a friend. She says she doesn't want to hurt anyone. He is taken aback, telling her it is hard to believe that she is from the same family. Caressing her face, he acknowledges her gentleness, but also her innate power. You can do so much if you just let yourself. She turns away, admitting she does not know how. He implores her to let him show her and then points her toward a tall shrouded object that has magically appeared behind her. Rumpelstiltskin tells her it is magic and that magic will set her free. Regina still rejects it. It is what her mother did and she does not want to end up like Cora. Rumpelstiltskin assures Regina she does not have to. He tells her the object is a portal between worlds. In this case, a specific and annoying little world. Rumpelstiltskin tells her she will probably never see her mother again, and all she needs is a little push. The question is, can she do it? Regina contemplates this as the scene cuts away. In Storybrooke, Regina has been considering her spell book in the courtyard. She opens the book, then blows the words off the page, only to inhale them again. 
a shock of purple energy crosses through her eyes, and the apples on her tree go from black to red. Her magic is returning. Elsewhere, David is standing on the main street as he pours Mr. Gold's potion onto Jefferson's hat. He waits a moment. Nothing. Suddenly, the hat flies into the air, propelled by an unseen force. The hat lands on an overturned car where a cry for help is heard from underneath. David tosses the debris away from the door of the car, throwing it open to reveal Jefferson. Hot boy alert! A boy? A boy? But how long has he been stuck there? Poor hot boy. So he's been trapped inside since the wraith attacked and is grateful for the rescue. David makes sure he is okay, but then he tells him that they need to talk. So what is it called when there's more than one himbo present? A vanity, a confusion, a quaff, a murder. <laughs> a murder. I think it's called a vanity. <laughs> I like a confusion. I, I do like a confusion. I think that's a good one. Yeah. Because it's if you've got a bunch of himbos, there's maybe one brain cell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, so I think a confusion probably works. A confusion of himbos. Confusion mm-hmm. of- this show is littered by a confusion of himbos. Yeah. I mean, there are many things that me and this show do not get along about. But I love me a himbo, and I do enjoy that it generously gives them to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's it's Oprah Winfrey giving away himbos. <laughs> <laughs> you get a himbo. You get a himbo. Himbos for all. Himbos for all. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the town hall, the townspeople are eagerly awaiting David's arrival. Ruby reassures the crowd as they grow more agitated. Granny patrols with her crossbow, insisting that we have a lawless town, Ruby. Damn right, I need it when her granddaughter questions its need. Ruby rushes over to Henry, who has been frantically trying to reach David on his cell phone. Suddenly, the doors fly open. Expecting their hero, everyone turns to see Regina entering the hall just like the evil queen they remember in their own world. I'm glad they brought her weird-ass bassoon music back. Bum, 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 bum. It's real weird. (laughs) Sensing danger, Archie tries to reason with her, but she uses magic to toss him aside and does the same for Leroy as he charges. Granny fires a bolt from her crossbow, but Regina catches it and returns it towards the crowd as a bowl of fire. Ruby, leaping forward into the debris, stands fast and asks Regina what she wants. But it is Henry who answers, me. She wants me. He comes forward, telling Regina he will go with her if she leaves everyone else alone. Regina strokes his chin tenderly and says, that's my boy. Satisfied, she leads Henry out of the room, magically shutting the doors behind her. Now at the outdoor seating at Granny's Diner, David interrogates Jefferson about the ruined hat. David throws the hat on the table and asks Jefferson if he can get him through. Jefferson is adamant that he cannot. David asks if he can get Emma and Mary Margaret back, but Jefferson says no to that as well. Frustrated, David asks, can you get it to work? Jefferson simply laughs at David's lack of understanding. Well, maybe you shouldn't have broken the hat with your butt, Charming. Your butt got us into this mess, sir. Ask it to get us out. Yeah, Jefferson is just like, you squished my hat with your butt. Now you get nothing, sir. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. (laughs) I was just going to say, you get nothing. (laughs) I say, I said good good day. day. Oh my God, wouldn't it have been fabulous if they were able to have added Willy Wonka to this Considering some of the other stuff they brought in, I do not feel that Wonka would have been a stretch. I would not have been surprised. Mm -mm -mm. No, I mean, I would have because Roald Dahl's widow and- I mean, from that aspect, yeah. yeah. But just from like like breadth of bringing various literature in, like- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no spoilers, but like after they- 
revealed who Dr. Whale was, I was like, well, I guess anything goes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Here's in the middle distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, shit, yeah. I guess it's the Wild West out here and there's no fucking rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Prince Hembo tells Jefferson that he saw the tea set in the car and the bunny rabbit and correctly surmises that Jefferson also has a daughter. Either that or, you know, he's into some weird shit. Some uh, people just like stuffed rabbits and tea sets. And there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Lynn, I like stuffed rabbits and tea sets. And there's nothing wrong with it. No, nothing at all. Let the man have his thing. <laughs> From one father to another, David pleads for Jefferson's help. Jefferson tells David that Emma and Mary Margaret are in the Enchanted Forest. This shocks David, who thought it no longer existed. Jefferson assures him it does, but tells him it does not matter because they can no longer go there. David, upping the ante, tells Jefferson that he is the sheriff. So unless he wants to end up in jail, he better figure out a way. However, this does not phase Jefferson, who tells him they are both doomed to powerlessness, stuck with two doomed lives trapped in their heads. He suddenly flips over the table and makes a run for it, with David giving chase until he runs straight into Ruby. I love that Jefferson just nopes the fuck out of there. Can't catch him. He's a slippery little guy. He just like flips that table and runs away like a misbehaving cat. Like yeah, absolutely. He Zoidbergs the fuck out. He's just yeah. like whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's so cartoony. It's wonderful. It's, it's so hysterical. good. I mean, the whole the whole exchange, like the way that Jefferson is even behaving, he's just like kind of laughing hysterically and sobbing at the same time. Yeah. Like he's just like, dude, if only you've known, like, I've been trying to get this fucking hat to work for the last 28 mm -hmm. fucking years and it's like yeah oh if it was just that fucking easy i you think i'd still be here like you know like literally i feel like in this scene all he was missing was like screaming you'll never catch me coppers over his <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah david's saying he's sheriff is he's saying sheriff by proxy i don't <laughs> think not. it really matters and it was <laughs> and it was so funny he's like i'm the closest thing there this town has to a sheriff and i'm like I, I mean, and Jefferson just went, fuck the police. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. All, he's all, well, fuck, fuck, fuck the police. And he just like NWA'd fuck out of there. It was beautiful. And so I beautiful. love him for it. So good. We stand uh, a stand. We stand a stand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. David tells Ruby to get out of his way until Red shocks him into awareness by telling him that Regina has her powers back and has taken Henry. What is worse, because David was a no-show at the meeting, the people of the town are terrified and desperate and are therefore planning to leave Storybrooke, sacrificing their true identities to escape Regina. David, still fighting for his family, tells her that he will deal with this once he captures Jefferson. He needs to get his wife and daughter back. Ruby asks, back to what? This town is about to come apart. She demands that he has to do something now. You know, I just have to say, God bless Ruby. 
Oh no, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's, she's literally like keeping this town together. She is the one keeping this town yeah. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she is the calm, level-headed person who knows exactly when to push and when to reassure and soothe. And now mm-hmm. is the moment to push because David is being so tree rather than forest, you know, like yeah. he's just tunnel vision right now and so focused on Mary Margaret and Emma even though Jefferson just dropped this bomb and I, and I did love that that delivery too he's like oh he's in the enchanted forest wait what <laughs> she's like yeah it fucking exists like <laughs> like you like Jefferson was real confused about like where this nonsense of the enchanted forest not existing came from <laughs> yeah but yeah but like Ruby is the one really keeping the town up you know I mean she is from the start of the episode because like the first time you see her she's she's the the one one who's like organizing shit who's like okay people over this way what you need go here for this go here for this go here for this proceed in an orderly fashion please and thank you strong capable woman right there hell yeah you love to see it Meanwhile, a satisfied Regina returns home with Henry, telling him she does not want him to think that things are going to go back the way they used to be. But Henry dashes to his room, where he digs under his bed to produce a mound of blankets already conveniently tied. (laughs) He attaches one blanket to a nearby radiator and throws the chain of tied blankets out the window. He hops out of the window and starts climbing down his makeshift escape apparatus when the branches of a nearby tree come to life and snatch him up, holding him in place just as Cora once did to Regina. Regina at his window tells an angry Henry, don't fight it, honey. You'll get a splinter. Real good luck, Regina. You're definitely not exactly like your battle axe mother. She's so creepy. She's so like step for wife or like very robotic. Yeah, they're like the lack of affect when she says it definitely makes it way creepier. Moments later, with Henry back in his room, sitting across from Regina, Henry asks her how long he has to be imprisoned by her. Regina corrects him, saying she rescued him because she loves him, but Henry is not buying her crap. She retorts that the place she came from was far less fair than this. Henry accuses her of sending away Emma and Mary Margaret, which Regina insists was an accident. However, he reminds Regina that everybody thought Henry was making up the stories about the Enchanted Forest, which made him feel like he was crazy. You tell her, Henry, because that's fucked up. It really was. Like, he has a really good cause to be super angry with her right now. And she's just like, she's very dismissive. And it's like, no, that was honestly actually terrible. Like, you made him think he was crazy. You actively made him think he was crazy. Yeah. Regina is eager to make amends, telling Henry everything can change now and that he can know all the secrets of magic. To illustrate her point, with a puff into her palm, Regina makes a delicious cupcake materialize out of thin air. She promises Henry that she can teach him magic. She tells him that he can have his friends over and show off his magic. Henry counters that his friends will not want to come over because they will be too afraid. Regina, her eyes flashing a familiar anger, tells him he can make them not be afraid. Then, more gently, she assures him, you can make them love you. Henry tells her he does not want that and that he does not want to be like her. He leaves, and an uncertain Regina becomes pensive. In King Leopold's castle, in the enchanted forest of the past, Regina is dressed in a beautiful, shimmering wedding gown. It is almost time for the wedding. Staring off at the balcony, Regina is pulled back into reality by her mother, who asks, Oh, what's this? Regina turns to face her mother as well as the large covered object in the room. She tells Cora she is not sure. It is a gift. 
With a sweep of her hand, Cora removes the covering and is disappointed for her daughter that it is not a portrait, as she initially thought, but an impersonal mirror. Cora cruelly wonders aloud if the people really love Regina. Hurt, Regina says she is doing her best. The beginning of the scene really reminds me of the part in Tangled when Mother Gotha like leads Rapunzel to the mirror and says like, look into the mirror. Do you know what I see? I see a strong, confident, beautiful young lady. No, look, you're here too. Like literally this, this, this part had such those vibes. That was the exact thought I had too, actually. <laughs> I just was like, oh, it's Tangled. Cora apologizes and leads her to the glass to admire Regina's beauty and reminds Regina of the life she has ahead of her. It's going to be better than you can imagine, Cora says. Then in a hushed tone, Cora tells her daughter that Leopold is not a strong man and the kingdom will be hers. Cora encourages her daughter to start planning for her future rule now by signaling to those around her where the real power will soon lie. Regina, turning away, asks if that is what Cora would do, and her mother confirms it is. Regina tells Cora she has just one qualm. She does not want to be her. As Regina lunges at her mother, Cora scoffs, freezing Regina where she stands with her magic. Cora tells her it will not be that easy to get rid of her. She is her mother, and she knows best. Mother knows best. It is tangled. I'll show you guys. Just then, Regina sees Rumpelstiltskin appear in the mirror behind Cora, motioning for Regina to push her mother into the looking glass. Regina, uncertain, but then with growing rage, lunges forward and pushes Cora with her magic into the mirror, which has now become a liquid portal. A stunned Cora flies into its maw, catching herself on the frame for just a moment before she is sucked through, disappearing before the mirror shatters. Regina looks on in shock at what she has done. I think it's fascinating how surprised Cora looks when this happens because she's basically like, I don't know how you could do anything or hate me. I've only tried to help you. And like, no, Regina hates you. She's, you ruined her life. And so those are, those are your comeuppance. Back in Storybrooke, the road leading out of town is now emblazoned with Leroy's spray-painted line, David's pickup hurdles down the road in front of the other cars heading for the edge of town and then power slides into a barricade. He and Ruby quickly get out and confront a line of cars filled with townspeople who are all ready to give in. David climbs into the bed of his truck and stands before the crowd. He tells the people what they will lose if they cross the line, namely the ones they love and themselves. He understands why they want to leave the bad memories behind, but those memories are a part of them. He acknowledges his own shortcomings as David Nolan. Damn, even Charmy recognizes that David sucks. I wrote that exact same note. He was like, yeah, Chris David was a jerk. That guy sucked. <laughs> that guy sucked. <laughs> and still, he insists he would not give up Charming just to be him, but he would not make the other trade either. He owns his weaknesses and his strengths, just as they must, using the weaknesses mm. to remind him who he wants to be. David encourages the people to be both their fairy tale and storybook identities. I am both. You are both. The town is both. We are both. David challenges them to make this town whole again, to open the school, grannies, everything. He promises to protect them from Regina and that she will not harm them while he is alive. He reminds them that they all need to come together as they did before in the Enchanted Forest. They take in David's words and agree, heading to their cars to begin the hard work of facing and rebuilding their lives. 
such a great speech. I love you, charming grandpa himbo. That cute dum dum. He did so good. I love him. I know. So good. Sno- Snow be proud. Snow be proud. Would. If only your wife could see you. Hopefully someone was recording that. Slice of cake <laughs> and a kiss on your head and would say you did good, honey. You did good. You did good. Back in the enchanted forest of the past, Regina rides her horse down a path with Leopold's castle disappearing behind her until she hears a voice ask, leaving, are we? She looks up to see none other than Rumpelstiltskin standing in the middle of the road. She dismounts her horse as she replies that leaving was always the idea. She gives Rumpelstiltskin back his spell book. As Regina turns to leave, he asks her, how did it feel? She tells him she loved her mother, but he presses her, asking her how it felt to use magic. Regina tells him it does not matter because she will never do it again. However, she admits to him and to herself that she enjoyed using magic. Rumpelstiltskin responds to this with glee. She has such potential and he could teach her how to unlock it if she lets him. She asks him what he gets out of it. And Rumpelstiltskin tells her ominously that one day she will do something for him. He offers the book once more, asking her to let him guide her. Regina accepts, but half asks, half tells Rumpelstiltskin that she will not become like Cora. Spoiler alert, she turned out exactly like her mother. <laughs> Lisa, drop a sad trombone in here. Wah, wah. No, I mean, I'll, go get a real I'll one. Get, I'll get a real one. <laughs> God damn you, go get me a sad trombone sound I will, effect. I'll get you a sound. You love like, me or not? I, yeah, I love you. I'll get you a trombone. A sad one. A real a sad, sad one. one. A real Gotta sad one. A real sad, sad real trombone sad you can real find. sad one. Here we go. It's going to come right now. Thank you. Rumpelstiltskin tells Regina that is entirely up to her. Regina holds up the spell book, considering the offer. Look, I am just sitting here screaming into a pillow because I want to talk about big plot points that come up later this season. But ah, just ah, Rumble, you are a bad, bad man. Let that poor young woman go and live a soft life. Can you imagine how different everything would have been if she could have just run away then? Like, I guess we wouldn't have had a show. This show wouldn't even happen because there'd be no curse. But still... Like, I still wish that for her. Yeah, and it just goes to show, like, that Rumpel's been playing the long game for, like, even longer than we initially realized. Yeah. Mirroring the scene in present-day Storybrooke, Regina sits at her dining table contemplating the same spellbook. Just then, David Burson, sword in hand, demanding to see Henry. Regina calmly calls Henry down and tells David that he will not need his sword. Confused as only a himbo can be, he slowly lowers his weapon as Henry comes down the stairs. Regina takes a painful moment before telling Henry that he is going home with David. Henry is skeptical, but Regina tells him she means it. She admits to him that she does not know how to love very well. It has been so long since she has felt real love, but she remembers that if you hold on to something too hard, it does not make them love you back. She apologizes for lying and making him feel like he was wrong. Now she only wants him to be with her because he wants to be there, not because she forced him or because of magic. Tearfully, Regina tells Henry that she wants to redeem herself. Yay! It's Regina's first step towards being an honest mom. Like, there are obvious issues with Regina's ability to redeem herself as a whole because of what we've discussed about last season. But in this respect, as a mother, she's on her way. And those were genuine apologies. Yeah, I I think the line... 
I don't know how to love very well is killer. It's a great line. Regina's quest for redemption is, is such an interesting one. And she has done irredeemable things that there will be no making up for. That is that is very true. There could be no way to redeem some of these things she's done. But still, it's a great ride to watch her journey moving forward as she does try to be better for Henry. After sending him upstairs to pack, David tells Regina to prove what she just told Henry and wants her to answer one question. Does their home still exist? Regina confirms that the Enchanted Forest exists, but that she has no idea how to get back there. Seeing the look in David's eyes, she knows she just launched him into another heroic quest. However, she implores him to make sure he also takes care of her son. David agrees. Moments later, Regina watches, heartbroken, as David leads Henry away. Meanwhile, Storybrooke is coming back to life. Stores are opening. The dwarves are already busy at work. Leroy leads his five brethren out of the hardware store, all of them carrying new pickaxes. They run into a confused Mr. Clark on the street. He asks them what they need the axes for, and Leroy tells him, Don't worry, brother. You lost something, and it's going to take fairy dust to get it back. So we're going to do what we do best. With an iconic, come on, boys, it's off to work we go, Leroy leads the dwarves off in search of the fairy dust. I have a surprising amount of feeling about the dwarves. I just really love these boys a lot. I have to agree. Like, before this, like, before, like, us doing this and taking out this podcast and, like, really rewatching this, I was, I was very, I don't want to say dismissive. I just didn't, like. Indifferent? Yeah, I was very indifferent. There you go. I was very indifferent to them. And, you know, they didn't bother me one way or another. But, like, now, like, that I'm watching it with the intention of, like, critical theory eye, I'm like, mm-hmm. These guys are so awesome. You're like, these yeah. good boys. He just said, he just called Sneezy his brother. And they're like, don't worry, brother. We're going to get you back the thing that you lost. And oh. they're going to do it because they're good. These are And Leroy's leading them. And he's a good man. God damn it. I know. He's he the is. best. He is he really a great is. character. Also, this whole sequence and score, starting from Regina watching Charming and Henry leave through the montage of the town opening up again and the doors with their axes. It's so good. Like, what a spectacular piece of music. It's a little melancholy, but also hopeful. And Mark Isham's score for the show is just so good. Like, it really, it makes me so emotional sometimes. Like, there's some good music in the show. In Granny's Diner, a despondent Marco sits at a table as David and Henry enter. After Henry whispers in his ear, Marco's face lights up. Later, he enters August's room, but there is no sign of his boy there except for his alpine hat from childhood. While Mr. Gold muses at the boundary line of Storybrooke, Regina considers tossing her spellbook in the fireplace at her home, but instead locks it in a cabinet. Back in the diner, David tells Henry the enchanted forest is still out there. When Henry questions if Mary Margaret and Emma might have died on the way, David assures him they did not. He can feel it. Charming Grandpa Himbo and Henry are so fucking sweet. I know. I love them so much. And like the shot of them both like drinking their sodas at the same time was perfect. Their dynamic is honestly so cute. They have no idea what they're doing, but my God, they are doing their best. Yeah. I actually wonder if it was meant to mirror a Norman Rockwell painting. Because it felt oh. like it. Yeah, it was very Norman Rockwell. Like, I don't know Norman Rockwell well enough to be like, oh, yeah, it was his piece, yada, yada, yada. No, but... I don't. 
I don't but think so. It, I, it I know Norman stuff pretty well. Me. I think it's just because it's white people. <laughs> <laughs> white yeah, people exactly. being wholesome. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I mean, I think you attributing it to a Rockwellian piece of work is completely valid, but I do not believe that there was any sort of artistic intention in the shot. Oh, am I giving the show too much credit? Yes. Oh, damn, we keep doing that. I know. I think it is a habit we will eventually break. No, I don't think so. I think we're always going to be like, oh, yeah, but this, though. No, I'm the X-Files no. again, and I'm just like, I want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> Trust no one. That's that's the X-Files tagline that you need, <laughs> that you need to uh, embody. Is Trust no one. Hi, guys. Future Lynn here. So I actually did a bit of research, and I found the Norman Rockwell painting that I had been thinking of. It does exist. It's called The Runaway, and it has a police officer and a little boy who's run away from home sitting together at a soda shop in the same poses as we see David and Henry in on that shot that I was referencing. And it's actually a pretty cute parallel if you think about it, because David has become the self-proclaimed new sheriff in town, so he's paralleled by this law enforcement officer. And Henry just run away from home so it was a clear parallel to this little boy and so if they actually did intentionally make that connection it was kind of smart of them okay future lin out in the present day enchanted forest emma and mary margaret are very much alive and very much tied up they are being pulled along unceremoniously behind a horse as they stumble across rough terrain they are prisoners of mulan and aurora they look up and see that they are approaching an island encampment Mary Margaret asks where they are, to which Mulan simply replies, our home. Inside the camp, Emma and Mary Margaret are taken aback at the medieval living standards of these refugees. When Mulan defends her people as survivors, Mary Margaret attacks, knocking Aurora away and telling Emma to make a run for it. Snow going feral and just kicking Aurora to escape is so good. <laughs> like wonderful. she's she's so scrappy. I love her so much. Also, you'd think someone in this camp would be like, yo, that's that's Snow White though. It's only been a year since like Snow White was royalty here but i maintain what i said when we were actually watching the episode and it looked like a couple of people did recognize snow white and like one of them looked like they were even going to bow but i think any sort of recognition they had got kind of sidelined by like immediately after that mulan being like i'm gonna do a hit yeah yeah <laughs> so they're just like oh shit head down head down she's mad she's mad <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. We don't I, like her when she gets mad. Yeah, and a lot of these people are like from like this kind of remote corner of, yeah. you know, the Enchanted Forest. So they could be not from Snow's specific kingdom. Yeah, they could be from Aurora's kingdom. Exactly. Which I also think could be true, but definitely it looked like a couple people did recognize oh, for sure. White, and then immediately we're just terrified by Mulan and we're like, nope, nope, not going to say anything. If you see something, say nothing and drink to forget. Yes. <laughs> Mulan is a scary, scary lesbian. <laughs> uh, the lesbian warrior told me not to, told me to, told me to just keep my trap shut and mind my own business. And doggone it, I'm going to do it because she <laughs> is armed to the teeth and I'm very afraid of her. I'm very afraid. And oddly turned on. Wait, did I say that out loud? <laughs> it's it's that it's that meme with the will knock me down as scared and horny <laughs> emma and mary margaret both try to run but mulan coolly picks up a bolo weapon spins it and hurls it at mary margaret like i takes, said she does a hit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a strong hit and goes down <laughs> she did a hit she did a hit don't do a hit don't yeah. do a hit Mary Margaret just goes, kong, kong, kong. <laughs> I mean, she hits her really fucking hard. Yeah, yeah. She's just um, like, not in my town, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> 
and down she went. It was very violent. <laughs> it was very violent. I love Mulan. And I guess to be fair, Mary Margaret did kick her future girlfriend in the gut. So yeah. So it's like, personal now. Yeah, it is personal. <laughs> Emma rushes to her side, and as Mulan approaches them, she instructs the other guards to take them to the pit. Soon after, when Emma tends to a still unconscious Mary Margaret in the dark and foreboding underground prison, she hears a voice asking her if she needs help. Emma, still unable to see much around her, asks who the speaker is. A friend, comes the reply. The stranger steps forward into the light, revealing themselves to be Cora. Womp womp. End credits. I love this episode. I think the writing, directing, editing have all gotten a lot tighter since season one, and it really shows already. Also, season two is where we really see that magic as an allegory for addiction and how dependency on magic corrupts people becomes like a running motif, like how magic leads to power imbalances and abuse. It's interesting that you bring that up since this is a Jane Espenson episode and the magic as an allegory for addiction is something that was explored in season six of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which Jane was you know major part of. Although I actually think they do a much better and subtler job in, in Once Upon a Time. It's pretty heavy handed in Buffy. Yeah, there was absolutely nothing subtle about the magic equals drugs plotline in Buffy, like, at all. Like, they had essentially, like, a magic drug dealer at one point. It was not right. subtle. This is definitely a much more graceful way of handling that metaphor. But I honestly think my favorite thing about this episode is poor Charming just doing his best. He's used to his smart wife being the one to do all the talking. And he is so very out of his depth, but my God, is he going to try? Yes, this is such a good, charming episode. I actually like that the show deals a bit with all these citizens now having two lives in their head. I think a lot of other shows would just have the curse lift and everyone's back to normal how they were before. But I do like that they actually go into the fact that they were hit with a whole second set of memories and that's scary. That's that's confusing to have to go through something like that. So mm-hmm. I really like that they do focus on this topic for the second episode and, and leave Emma and Mary Margaret's journey for, you know, episode three. I think it was the right choice. Overall, I also really like the Regina flashbacks. As Chell mentioned earlier, this is kind of what we wanted for the end of the Stable Boy episode. So it's nice that they give us more time with an uncorrupted Regina. Yeah, overall, a very solid episode all around. I feel like a lot of season two is quick, fix the sins of season one. Yeah, I think Uh, you're not wrong about that, honestly. Yeah, and I feel like this is not unique to Once Upon a Time at all. No, Like, this is is a pretty common occurrence in television, especially when a second season is not guaranteed. Yeah, lots lots of shows don't really find their footing until they get to season two. Right. And then they're like, well, now we know what we are, and now we know what we're about, but we made some real choices in season one that we should (laughs) probably do something about. So we we should either, like, at least try to fix that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are certain sins that they will just keep repeating and oh, we will yeah. keep calling out. Oh, yeah, because they they have some bad ones that they just keep going back to. God only knows why. Like they learn from some of their mistakes and like double down on others. Yeah, yeah. but that's OK, because that's what this podcast is for. Exactly. 
hey, ladies, let's talk about costumes and how gorgeous Regina's writing jacket was. I'm sure like those puff sleeves, that's a very specific type. And I am just too lazy to Google that right now. Okay, here's Uh, the sad thing. I do know what they're called because I literally just had to fucking make those. And I cannot remember what it is to save my life. Fuck. But I remember having to like Google it because I'd never made them before. So like I had the name because I had to look up and be like, what the hell are these? I I literally just had to make a pair of those bastards. I know they're not puff and slash sleeves because those are a different mechanism where it like it actually involves like sewing pieces of fabric into each other and then cleaning it. So there's just like little peekaboos. Yeah, like I mean, peekaboo puff sleeve. Mm. But this is actually a completely different construction. Uh, Someone who sews too much that actually like involves like having a separate solid sleeve. And then having like strips of a contrasting fabric on top of it, like that isn't connected and is freely formed of it. And I've had to make both. And I know the technical names for both of them and I can't remember it. And I'm very disappointed in myself right now. It's okay. I still love you. I know how to sew them. Does that count? Yes, it counts so much. Okay. But yeah, the, I love puff, the pu- puff and slash. Puff and slash is the kind where there's pleating with just a peekaboo of the little yeah, color. Think cartoon. <gasps> oh, pan cartoon Snow White. Pan sleeves. Pained? Pained. P-A-N-E-D. Pained. Pained. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the one where it's like there's a solid sleeve yep. and then there's strips of contrasting fabric. That's pained. And then puff and slash is the one where it's pleats with a little pop of color that comes yeah. through and it actually involves you like sewing two different types of fabric together and then pleating them over each other. I love that this is becoming the historical fashion slash TV costuming podcast that nobody asked for. Listen, we said yeah. in episode zero that my whole thing is that I sew and sewing is all I've been doing other than this podcast. Yeah, I and those sleeves and I way, sew we're and I do to, this podcast. We are going to have to share that costume with our good listeners because it's fucking fabulous. Oh, yeah. Sleeves. No, I am honest to God. It's probably the prettiest thing I've ever made. So it's I'm so totally pretty. happy to be gorgeous. Like, be like everyone give me validation. This costume took so fucking long. Yes. So Regina's jacket is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And I love and the I fact it. that the colors are the same as Rumpelstiltskin's costume in this episode. So in that closing shot, it makes such just great like nice visual parallel between the two because they're having that conversation about magic and her liking casting the spell and they're both wearing the same color palette which i think is is pretty cool i didn't even notice oh my god it's yeah. also i have I, to turn in my rebel stillskin card i think it's the first time outside of when she already is the evil queen that we see her like in dark colors because before yeah. then she's almost exclusively been in like baby blues true she's wearing a darker shade it's, like it's she, the first mm-hmm. time she's in like a dark color she's almost yeah. exclusively been in baby blue before this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. although man that wedding gown Ooh, the wedding was gown was really beautiful. i do love the wedding gown oh so beautiful that nice like rococo like big old sides i don't remember what those are called oh no this is turning in the historical costuming <laughs> podcast that uh, no one wanted our future lisa is going to be cutting out so much <laughs> oh no we're becoming our negative review <laughs> oh no we are becoming our negative review they just talk about costuming too much okay i'm gonna move on from this well yeah what i want to know is who's that guest star i'm sorry to disappoint you <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you, Elisa, because there were no guest stars in this episode. I mean, oh, we're we talking we, about Sebastian Stan for a while if you want to. He almost is. He's I mean, a little. 
Sorry, I, I got I I I was daydreaming about Sebastian Stan going whoa, <laughs> away from his problems. And away I go. <laughs> Fuck the police. Fuck just, the police. It's a cat when it gets the crazies and it's just like oh zoomies. yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. He's a cat with zoomies. Across the room, he yeah, is definitely cat with zoomies. Hey Lisa. Hey, what's this timeline looking like? All right, so this episode's flashbacks directly follow the one seen in season one episode 18 the stable boy as that episode ends with Cora murdering Daniel and Regina being forced into marriage with King Leopold and you know her pinning all her thirst for revenge on a child not her mother Uh, but yeah this one seems to be a pretty direct follow-up to the stable boy and the one that follows it most closely is probably season one, episode 11, The Fruit of the Poisonous Tree, as that's the earliest in the timeline that shows Regina actually now married to King Leopold. And of course, the Snow White we see in episode 11, season one, episode 11, Fruit of the Poisonous Tree, is much older than the one we see in the flashbacks here. So once again, it's safe to guess maybe 10 or so years have gone by since both the stable boy and now we are both. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, Emma and Mary Margaret, with the aid of Mulan, Aurora, and a friend from the past, attempt to find a portal that will bring them back to Storybrooke, but a dark force threatens their safe return. Meanwhile, back in the fairy tale land that was, King George seeks revenge on Charming and Snow White. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, a confusion of himbos may just save the day if you just give them the chance. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Our artwork for the podcast was done by Laichi Ruru. That's L-A-I-C-H-I-R-U-R-U at twitter.com. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share-Alike license. And we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's the whole preview for next episode.